Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at thebuglepodcast.com. That, that bit's important. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is a podcast from The Bugle. Catharsis, the process of releasing and thereby providing relief from strong or repressed emotions. I think I made that sound sexy. I'm Tiff Stevenson, full-time comedian, part-time massively unqualified therapist for this podcast only. Each week I talk to a guest about small things that are pet peeves and big things that maybe need release. Do I mean release or relief? Why do they both sound like a happy ending? Anyway, we will also dive into a topical gripe and a historical beef to see if we can provide some insight and mainly some catharsis. You can sweat the small stuff with me. Firstly, got something I need to get off my chest. Moratorium on the phrase girl boss. Good God on that phrase. It's infantilizing and grotesque. Someone responded on Twitter to tell me my old HR manager took pleasure in showing me her new girl boss notebook about two minutes before she told me I was being made redundant. I'm guessing it was okay because it was a bitty witty ickle girl that made you redundant and not a woman. That's awful. Hope you have a better new boss lady on Twitter. I think I might write a sketch about a middle-aged CEO and call it boy boss. I think that's the main issue I have with this. We don't call it boy boss, but I can see a trailer for a great film. Boy boss, he can do it all and look amazing while he's doing it. There he is, so sassy with his cute briefcase, making phone calls, doing deals, boy bossing it. Which brings me on to introducing my guest <laughs> this week, who maybe is a boy boss. He's a renaissance man in New Balance trainers. He's an <laughs> Emmy-winning writer, comic, and his special People Pleaser is out on video, on demand. He's Gondoly. He's Joshy. He's Josh Gondelman. Hello, Josh. Hello. Thank you. I feel I feel like a boy boss today. <laughs> I feel in charge. I feel like... Uh, yeah, wearing sneakers. I'm ready to to attack business today. I like that girl boss is like an adult woman, and then boss baby is a literal baby. They're like, an adult woman is a girl, but when it's a boy, a baby's a baby. That's that's only science. Yeah, that seems fair. Mm-hmm. Hence, patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've described you as a people pleaser, but I want to know if it's going to be okay for you to get a bit ranty for us today on the podcast. Yeah, I'll be a real asshole. <laughs> going to start off by getting you to talk about an old grudge this is the section of the show where we attempt to feed our guests some gripe water so they can digest an old piece of anger so i'm not going to interrupt you i'm just going to let you go but after i will have questions sure so i still have a grudge against my 10th grade spanish teacher 
she was an old woman. I, I am almost certain she's not alive any longer. And my policy on speaking ill of the dead is it is the best time to speak <laughs> ill of them. Uh, they won't fight you and you can't hurt their feelings. So now is the time to start. She hated me. And that's the number one thing I don't like in a person, personally. <laughs> I can take someone that I don't like. That's fine with me if I don't like you. But if you don't like me, that ruins me. And this was like the first time I remember knowing that like trying hard and doing a good job isn't enough sometimes. And sometimes people just don't like you. And I can't handle that. Still, I still can't <laughs> handle that. And th But this is the first time someone put their finger in that particular wound. She didn't like that I ever had fun. She didn't like that. She was so old that when she was young, they hadn't invented jokes yet. So whenever <laughs> someone said something that was an exaggeration or an embellishment for the sake of humor, she was like, that's a lie. Because she didn't understand that some things were jokes. So one day, I remember this was, this was the moment that I was like, oh, she said to the class, she was like, you know, mistletoe, it, it became from a pagan ritual. It was like the, right before before Christmas break. And she said, you know, mistletoe came from a pagan ritual. Do you know how they used it? And I said, yeah, you would take mistletoe and you drop it in the eggnog of a person you don't like. And that kind of <laughs> takes care of them for a while. And she was like, her face, like shock and horror she went like ghost white and she was like no mistletoe is poisonous that would really hurt someone and then she looks at the class addresses the class and goes see this is why you can't listen to people like josh because they'll lead you astray in life that's what she said i was i'm 16 years old making a joke with the full knowledge of the thing that she tried to call me on, it required that. That's that's required reading for this joke. And she was just like, nope, this is a liar and a charlatan, and he will get you poisoned. Um, so I, I also know that one time I asked her for homework. And uh, help on – no, I didn't ask her for homework. Uh, I'm, I'm not that much of a nerd. I asked her for <laughs> help with homework, and then she went to her other classes and made fun of me that I, it took me this long in the year to ask her for help on homework. Also, I was getting A's in the class, so – that's a long-standing grudge, yeah. This Spanish teacher sounds like a bitch. Just going to put it out there. I'm, I'm already <laughs> immediately on your side, Josh. Thank you. I have heard adults before say they don't take to certain children. Sure. But I'm like, they're kids. Yeah. Like, you've got to give them, you've got to cut them a bit of slack. You've got to give them some grace. You weren't doing anything that was, like, massively antisocial or destructive. No. You were doing some jokes. And, you know, I've fallen foul to teachers not enjoying my jokes before. Sure. Considering how awful teenage girls and boys can be at a school, the idea that you would make a joke and then she would be like, no. Yeah. It wasn't even, like... Don't make jokes. Because if she'd said that, I'd be like, okay, that's the law of the land. No jokes. But she fully went past this is a joke and went on to like, this person is unreliable. Like it was a character assassination. And like, <laughs> again, as I said, she was an old woman at the time, probably not alive any longer. I do not celebrate her passing. I'm sure there are many people who loved her very much and who... Are, are she meant a lot to you as an educator and a person. 
and I don't want to sound like I'm being disrespectful of those relationships. However, if I died, <laughs> she would not mourn. <laughs> She would have a street party. She would. She would be like this. It would be like when um, I'm trying to think of the last person. It, w- it was like when um, when Donald Rumsfeld died, and people were like, "Sure, he's dead, but like, is it sad?" That's what she would be like. <laughs> so I don't want to say I'm doing the same thing, but I just know if it went the other way, that's how it would go. In keeping with our therapy theme on the podcast, mm-hmm. do you feel this has affected your behavior going forward? As an adult, I mean, your special's called People Pleaser. Yeah. Do you think this key incident from your childhood is something that's made you go, as an adult, I just, I need to please people because this Spanish teacher did not like me. I've carried it with me throughout my life and it's affected things. Yeah, I think for sure. And even if it didn't cause that tendency to form, it certainly like highlighted it for me and was like, this is what you're like. And you know what I mean? Like, you know how sometimes you just don't know what you're like until someone tells you? This was that for me. Like, um, you know how sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll talk to somebody that's very close to you and, and you'll go like, oh, you, but you never want to watch a scary movie. And they'll be like, I love scary movies. And you'll be like, when was the last time you watched one? And they'll be like, I guess I saw Get Out five years ago and it's been since then. And it's like, yeah, you don't like scary movies. And they're like, huh, yeah, I, I guess I don't. Do that. I don't seek them out. That's what it was like for me, where her not liking me and me being unable to be like, she doesn't like me. I don't like her. That's just how it's going to be. And me being like, no, I can win her over. And then <laughs> failing and failing and failing. And so there were things I could have done better. That's in her defense. I just wasn't going to do them. <laughs> That's- <laughs> Society is sometimes the mirror, Josh. Yeah. And uh, and sometimes we like our reflection and sometimes we're like, smash that mirror because this is ugly. Yeah. That's how I feel. This <laughs> made me feel like smash the mirror. I, I see who I am and I don't like it, but I'm also not going to work especially hard to change it. Yeah. And then you'll have a career in just being able to mm-hmm. make jokes about mm-hmm. mistletoe. Thank you for sharing that with us. Do you feel better now you've got it off your chest? You know, I feel like I'm kind of... Um, living in it a little bit now but i do think the the raising up of these feelings and the dredging up of them will be cathartic i'm still mid purge and is there anything you'd like to say to her i would like to say i understand that i was annoying to you and uh i'm not sorry but i am not mad anymore i'm an adult and my experience 20 years ago in your class does not define me and I know that it's okay intellectually I know that it's okay when people don't (laughs) like me today I saw that somebody had blocked me on Twitter and it was somebody I didn't even somebody I don't know who the only reason I found out was because other people are like oh this person seems like an idiot and I went to see the stupid tweet because I'm like well I gotta know why this guy's an idiot and it was like you're blocked and I was like me why so it's still in there (laughs) but I intellectually know that it's okay if people don't like me yeah, you're not uh, you're not mad. You're just disappointed in myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. Of course. Now it's time for topical cream. We apply some balm to a stinging news story that's got you all het up. Tell me what's upsetting you this week, Josh. Okay, this has been going on for 
a while. In the United States, anytime anyone has money that's not already rich, economists are like, this is inflation, and money isn't worth anything anymore unless you have a billion of it. And President Joe Biden says, let's forgive some college debt. And people go, it's going to cause too much inflation. If you give people $10,000 of debt relief, that means money isn't worth anything anymore. And I call bullshit. I think economics is made up. We made up money. We can, yes. When somebody is like, oh, money's worthless because there's more of it. I think we should be able to be like, no, it's worth the same. <laughs> and we just have more. I think this has long been my plan. The government, when they announce the federal budget, it's always in the United States, it's always like uh, such a huge percentage goes to the military, right? And that's just that just happens. $800 billion or whatever, $900 billion a year. I think this is my plan for the future because we don't have nationalized health care here. There's so little that the government does for us. I think going forward, the government should be like, hey, you know – Classic us, $900 billion for the military. And then they just don't give them most of that money. They just do other things with it and don't tell anybody. That's my plan. That's how I think the government should work. They should be like, look, guys, if we could go to war tomorrow, we could go to the biggest war that this world has ever seen. And then secretly they're like, hey, public schools, you can have floors now. Yes, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah, we just keep it under the table cash. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Instead of bonds and funding, it's just a bag of cash that you give to trustworthy people across the country. And sure, some of it will end up in the wrong hands, but that's already happening. <laughs> I yeah. think that's so. I just like whenever there's a news story, and this happened again, they're like, the, the, Fed chairman is like, we're going to keep raising interest rates to combat inflation, or we're going to, um, or a former economic advisor to President Obama said, like, to keep inflation down, we need something like 6.5% of people to be unemployed. And it's like, no, the economy, you can't just throw people into a wood chipper and, or like sacrifice them on an altar and be like, that's what the gods of the economy want, right? <laughs> you, the economy, if it's good, but people don't have money, then it's bad. Then like that, you know what I mean? That's like being like, I have a great job. If you count other people with better jobs, jobs, <laughs> if you count the CEO of Microsoft's job, then we average out to being co-CEOs of Microsoft. <laughs> well, you say the gods of economy. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I think there are gods of economy because your money has in God we trust written on it. That's right. So that's how we know it's all made up. Yeah. <laughs> we can't do that. That's like in God we trust. It's like, look, I get that we're not really on the gold standard precisely <laughs> anymore. But this is all a faith-based system. Like, get out of here. It entirely is, isn't it? Yes. In, in, in the UK, on our notes, it says, I promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of £10. But the pounds relates to weight in gold or silver standard, which mm -hmm. no longer exists, yeah. right? Same in America as it is here. So what are you promising to pay? the? I give you a piece of paper that's basically an IOU, and then you're supposed to give me £10 of gold, but the gold's not there anymore. You're starting trouble if you call someone out on that. If you're like, <laughs> yeah, I'll take, my, I'll take my £10 of silver. And they're like, what are you? No, that's... <laughs> Inflation actually means that what you get is one piece of paper. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is what your, this is what your gold is worth now. Mm -hmm. Well, this is interesting that you bring this up because 
I have a bit of a, a, a topical issue this this week Please. as well. So I'd like to share mine with you and hopefully we can provide each other with some catharsis. But it's yes. very linked. Um, a couple of days ago, I watched Jamie Oliver, who's one of our chefs, on a daytime TV show demonstrating how to cook using minimal stove heat for less than three minutes. Mm-hmm. And I just want the media to stop normalising this. Like, this is not normal. In one of the richest nations in mm-hmm. the world, it's not mm-hmm. gas cooking, it's gas lighting. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what it is, right? These are these are just examples I saw recently, like, but the, it's across TV and newspapers. In fact, this morning, a TV program, mm-hmm. uh, another TV program did a did a competition where people could phone in and then they had a wheel that was like win a thousand pounds. And it was like energy bills for a year. And mm-hmm. I just think this is part of like normalizing this. And there's one argument which is very wealthy chefs like it's Jamie is a multi multi millionaire mm-hmm. uh, telling telling pe- less wealthy people about belt tightening is always going to is always going to be sure. No, mate, come on. But what we're doing, I feel like we're normalizing living in like Dickensian conditions, like mm-hmm. a page out of Samuel Pepys diary, as opposed to kind of going, this isn't normal. These are basic human rights, like heat, light, food, you know, people should be able yeah. to do those things. Well, what we've got to do is flip it, right? Instead of having a multimillionaire chef on TV to be like, here's how you cook in uh, in three minutes, get someone who's broke on TV and be like, look, rich people, you heat up instant ramen in the microwave for like a minute and a half. That does the trick. You know, what I mean? like what we don't need to tell people who already have limited resources how to that's that's who knows how to work with limited resources we get to tell rich people how to knock it off right <laughs> yes. like, oh hey here's how to get a place without your private jet you take a bus <laughs> and so, yes how about how about you you have a salt water pool so you don't need to tip chlorine into it and empty it every you know that's right. or you know get in the sea yeah, go to go swim to the in beach. The big swimming pools. Yeah, with the rest <laughs> of us. Is there some piss in it? Yeah, there is. That's part of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the piss is there to counteract the jellyfish that are swimming around. Thank you. It's preemptive medicine, which that is as close as we get to free preventative care in the United States. <laughs> That's what Obamacare provided. You could go to like a well visit for, you know, a checkup with the doctor and you could pee in the ocean to preemptively avoid jellyfish stings. Unless you're in the top 1%, this is something that's going to affect everyone. Yeah. And we should be conscious of energy because, you know, we should be trying to use less fossil fuels and everything else. But... The main point being is that there's stuff that can be done about this now because it's profiteering from the energy companies. So it's very frustrating to listen to people go, no, no, you just need to be more careful and less treats for you, you know, as if as if demanding to be able to have like a bath or or, or a hot shower is somehow like, you know, extravagance. Totally. And I think there's there's like good practices right like best practices for how to use energy. And then there's this new level that is being imposed on on individual people and not like giant companies where they're like, hey, uh, maybe if you look to the right, turn off the light switch that's to your left and then turn it back on when you look back <laughs> to the left. And you're like, that can't be the solution. Everybody yes. just like flick, 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 flick. <laughs> so it has to be, there have to be like bigger societal solutions and regulations to the people who are like, and the, the organizations that are doing the most damage, not just like someone who wants soup. Yeah, light candles and sit there looking like you're about to do a spell. Right. Blow gently on each other's faces for cooling. <laughs> like... I think we fixed the world's problems. I feel a bit better having ranted about that now. I hope you do. I definitely do. 
we uh, should go on to your unpopular opinion. Sure. This is where it's something that you love that everyone else hates, okay. or or vice versa, something you hate that everyone loves. Hit me. Okay, I'm gonna go with something that that I enjoy that is not popular, and I don't think it's a a net good for society. I kind of like traffic. Ooh, yeah. I thought you were gonna throw a hot kink in there. Like the no, way no, you no. Said- <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not too sensual. <laughs> I kind of like traffic. I'm a habitually early departer when I ha- when I have to drive. I play it very, cut it very close with trains and planes, <laughs> trains especially in the city in New York. But with automobile traffic, I leave enough time for there to be traffic because I want to be on time. I want to be punctual, and if there's no traffic. Then I'm too early, and that's embarrassing. Right. I get if it's your daily commute, you're like, I don't want this to be 30 minutes longer. But I'm so rarely alone <laughs> living in New York City. <laughs> and so, to me, traffic is the rare chance for me to be by myself. It, it is almost a kink in that it feels like <laughs> it is a relinquishing of control to right. some to something more powerful than you so call it a kink call it a, a religious experience but i think just like letting myself be part of the traffic and, and just feeling like there's nothing to be done and and that i'm just living in the moment listening to a podcast listening to some music in a car that to me is like I think this is what other people get from mushrooms, right? We're all part <laughs> of a larger thing. And to to think of myself as just myself is ego. And I need the ego death of submitting to traffic. Oh, very well argued, Josh. Thank you. It's your version of mindfulness. It is my version of mindfulness. <laughs> Be here now. In traffic. In traffic. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's our t-shirt. I feel like we should get a t-shirt mm-hmm. out of That's... every... Every episode of this podcast, be, be here, here now, now in, traffic. in traffic. And that's by um, Eckhart Tollbooth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, you did say that it could be a kink. And I did think that when you said habitual early departer, which does mm-hmm. sound like a... You sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, I tend to leave early sometimes. <laughs> but hey, the the thing, look on the bright side, I got there early. <laughs> I'm imagining when you're stuck in traffic that it's going to be like that scene in um, La La Land. Sure, people dancing on the cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and singing on the streets. And, mm-hmm. and so that kind of looks fun. That did kind of look fun. I would say not only is that more fun than traffic, it was more fun than the entire rest of the movie that came after. <laughs> you set the bar too high. It was so it was... fun. And then it's like, oh, we're going to get a bunch of these? And then it's like, nah, it's just going to be like... Ryan Gosling singing about singing to jazz about jazz. <laughs> well, there's a, a really interesting thing that happens when you're stuck in traffic because it is a little window into other people's worlds. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you're in your car, you forget other people are watching. Yep. But if I was stuck in traffic, I would maybe like put some blusher on, which sure. I'd probably get in trouble for saying. But someone said to me that they did a um, that they saw someone, and this was in LA, which feels so LA. Mm-hmm. I have to say, Los Angeles is the worst driving I've ever encountered. <laughs> And I've driven around the Arc de Triomphe, which is where you take your life into your own hands wow. to do that drive. Um, but uh, someone was saying that in LA, they saw someone with their feet on the dashboard in traffic, like they must have had the handbrake on, I'm presuming. 
uh, and they were painting their toenails. Wow. That is such a submission to traffic. High-risk gamble, I reckon. High-risk. If the car starts moving, you're going to spill, you're going to... Oh, yeah. People are going to be so mad. It's so visible. (laughs) It's like... Also, you can't break or use the gas pedal. At least when you're texting, your feet are still going. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah. I will say, I know that the traffic seems bad. They are allowed to drive on that side of the road, if that makes a difference. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) LA is the place where I saw this. I was sat going through Larchmont and uh, someone had got fed up of the traffic behind me. They literally drove around, mounted the curb and just drove along the curb to turn right. Wow. Anarchy. Yeah. Just like, I'm just going to drive on the... I mean, you call it the curb, right? We call it the pavement. But yeah, they just went onto the street where, you know, where the people are. Yeah. And just drove along that and went, no, that's what I'm doing. So that is the level. I mean, I know there's a lot of narcissism and ego in LA because it is the, you know, as someone who's in showbiz and I love it, but it is the hub of showbiz. So, you know, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, there's a level of thinking you're so much more important than everyone else. I do always like when I see someone break traffic rules in a way that I'm like, it wouldn't have even occurred to me to try that. <laughs> this is just like so outside the box because like speeding, sure, right? Turning rapidly, forgetting to signal. I've been guilty of that. But some you'll see somebody like there's a little traffic and then you see someone just throw it in reverse down a one-way street and <laughs> yes. go like a quarter of a mile backwards and turn up. You're like, wow, that person is so bold. They just are like, I'm going to seize the day. I'm the captain of my own fate and the master of my soul. <laughs> they are in they are being chased by cops in a movie mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that kind of car chase sort of behavior well thank you for sharing your unpopular opinion with me my pleasure welcome to the section of the podcast we call aurochs or historical beef mm. i thought this is where we would look at a historical argument and try and fix it it's almost like drunk history josh but without the booze uh, and this week, we are looking at the War of the Currents, not the famous gang-related wars between the West Coast California Raisins <laughs> and the, the East Coast Cape Cod Sultanas, mm-hmm. uh, but the intense rivalry between one Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison. So to give a bit of background before we get into it, the Serban-American scientist was brilliant and eccentric genius whose inventions enabled modern-day power and mass communication systems, the Tesla coil, which I believe is some kind of contraceptive, and his <laughs> nemesis and boss, Thomas Edison, who invented the light bulb, which I always wondered, did a light bulb go off above his head when he thought of the idea for a light bulb? And their war of currents is one believed that AC was better, the other believed DC. Yeah, and it was it was a clash, right? A clash of the titans. I yes. think a clash that was not resolved until the Australian rock and roll band ACDC brought their two <laughs> systems together and it was dynamite, uh, TNT dynamite. <laughs> but I do think it was very interesting because they're very different guys, right? Like, I think I don't like this about myself, but I relate to Edison, right? Tesla had this AC current that was more ambitious, more difficult to pull off, but ultimately more fruitful and powerful. Edison was like, DC current is easier, faster to, to accomplish. Let's rock. I read yesterday that Thomas Edison used to wear his shoes two sizes too big so he could just 
put them on and take them off without bending down. And I'm again, this is like a game-changing laziness <laughs> to me. And so, like, I think we give him a lot of credit for the light bulb rate and, and the, the his other inventions. The, we ha- He had other people working on those patents, right? He had, like, a team of people. He bought multiple patents. He developed multiple patents and then had a team of inventors working on it for him. I think... We need to give him more credit for his day-to-day inventions, like wearing shoes that are too big so that you don't have to tie your shoes. <laughs> Turning your underpants inside out. Yeah, I bet that was him. We don't know <laughs> it for sure, but I think that was him, right? He he was the one that invented smelling the milk that's past the expiration date to see <laughs> if it's still good. And I salute you, Thomas Edison. So I think like we need to give more credit to his lazy inventions and let Tesla handle the big stuff like AC current. Well, I was in Serbia. There's a whole museum dedicated uh, to Tesla Mm -hmm. there. And he was quite a dandy. So these are a couple of things that are, according to LiveScience.com, that we should bear in mind um, when comparing the two. Tesla had an eidetic memory, I believe I'm saying that correctly, Mm -hmm. which meant he could precisely recall images and objects. This enabled him to accurately visualize intricate 3D objects. And as a result, he could build working prototypes just using a few preliminary drawings so he had this like kind of visual intricate detail of it's kind of like me with dicks <laughs> whereas edison was more of a tinkerer and like would do lots of like lots of uh drafts of drawings and stuff like that so according to princeton press in 2013 they're different inventors you can't say one is greater because american society needs some edisons and it needs some teslas however you know, we can we can argue for and against um, in terms of I like I like your your pitching for Edison's laziness. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that I I I'm favoring Tesla because he seemed like the young dandy. Yeah, this is something else in Tesla's favor. You talked about he died penniless, right? We hear a lot. There's a lot of sneering uh, about people in our line of work about like starving artists, right? And you hear about these genius artists die pen, dying penniless. That happens to scientists, too. Tesla was a starving scientist. So don't tell me that my career choice is impractical. The guy who invented AC current died broke. There are no guarantees. Yes, and Edison was okay. He was good, even though he was the DC guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he he. Uh, well, I think this is where the falling out occurred. So I think uh, Tesla was working for Edison, mm-hmm. and Edison had come up with DC, and he said, I can help. And then he offered him some money, but he said it wasn't enough money. And then Tesla went to work with his competitor, which, you know, that's kind of like an ex-boyfriend hooking up with a friend that you've fallen mm-hmm. out with, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's he had DC current. He was working in DC, and then Tesla went to work for Marvel Currents. <laughs> They're different universes, Josh. It's different universes. The two can never cross. Mm-hmm. And the fandoms, the fandoms, woo, on both sides, intense. <laughs> you don't want to say anything about. Maybe there's too much Tesla nowadays. Too much of the film industry is devoted to Tesla. People will jump down your throat. They'll be like, let people enjoy things. And it's like, okay, let me not enjoy things. I've just seen this, though, on the um, how they were as people. Remember I was saying about the dinner party? Yeah. Uh, who's the best dinner party guest? Edison was hard of hearing and introverted with few close friends. But he had a mean streak, which he displayed amply in his vicious attacks against Tesla during the War of the Currents. He also gave advice on how to build the first electric chair using direct current, going into gory detail about the techniques needed to do the deed. So that 
That's a strike. That's a, probably a heavy strike against Edison. I think that's pretty strong against Edison. Didn't he also, to demonstrate DC current, didn't he kill an elephant with electricity? I think I saw that in a film, which is how I get all my history. Yeah, I think I learned it from an episode of Bob's Burgers, honestly. <laughs> but I think it is, I think I looked it up to be like, is that real? Or maybe I didn't and just absorbed it as fact. <laughs> yeah, well, it seems like, it seems like Edison was the, was the old-fashioned stage person who did a few good things. But Tesla should be our guy. Tesla should be, you know, he, uh, uh, yes, I know that it's falling into the starving artist myth. Uh, but I feel like he had, he was fashionable. He was a bit of a dandy. He tried to help. And when his help was rebuked, he went, he did the next best thing. And he went and got that revenge bod mm-hmm. with, <laughs> with by working for a competitor. Nicola, if you're listening, hopefully we've, we've healed. Yeah. And um, Nikola Jokic, if you're listening, congratulations on your second straight National Basketball Association MVP award. I think you had two great seasons back to back and you deserve them both. As long as we're shouting out Nicholas. Yes, shouting out Nicholas. Yes. Finally, we come to Angry Aunt. We've been sent some tweets. We've had some listener problems in. So I'm going to share one. Let's see if we can help this person out. We've received a tweet from someone named Belentian who says, I was riding my bike a few weeks back when a dog ran at me and bit my foot whilst it was still on the pedal. I then tried to tear the tyre off the wheel. I got upset and sweary at the owner who informed me that it was my fault because I hadn't rung my bell. Huh. Now, you've not come down on the side immediately in this. I mean, my role as angry aunt is to tell this person that they're in the right no matter what. Like, I'm going to get angry on their behalf. Like, I'm going to suggest that they bit the owner back so they know what it feels like. I didn't know dogs understood bicycle etiquette (laughs) i don't put that on the dog i don't blame the dog i don't blame the cyclist i blame the owner i feel like when a dog does a bad thing it is almost always you blame the person that's in charge of that dog right it's it's not like i have a dog she doesn't like leave for work in the morning and come back 10 hours later to tell me about her day she's like in my direct care all the time yes yes and i feel like i feel like you you get your your dog is going to be used to being out and about if you're taking your dog for walks to sounds like if they're kind of like twitchy and nervous what are you doing Mm -hmm. at home with the dog that's making it twitchy and nervous that they can't see a bicycle go go past yeah Yeah. i i don't like it when people don't take uh, ownership or responsibility for their dogs Two, two thi- and the other thing I don't like is when someone has a very obviously cute dog and then they get really annoyed when you go, oh, hi, or say, can I say hello? You know, like you could be like, oh, my dog doesn't like strangers. Of course. But like, but don't walk around. I saw a guy in New York once walking a husky and it was like a puppy and it was so beautiful oh, and he looked so, so angry cute. at the idea of anyone approaching him. And I'm like, don't bring that dog out and about. Like, if you don't want people to come over and go, oh, your yeah. dog's beautiful. Don't be annoyed yeah. by that, you asshole. Get an uglier dog. Yes! Get a slobbery dog. Yeah, get just like a real wet-faced dog with, you know, just weird nose. Yeah, get just stop bringing your beautiful dogs around. Ugly dogs need love, too, and they will get less of it from strangers. So they need you. Adopt an ugly dog. That's my PSA. And that's your other t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, do- ugly dogs need love too. But I will say I'm a hypocrite. My dog is so cute. She's an adorable little monster. 
Well, not not a hypocrite if you're cool with people coming over going, oh, what's your dog's name? I love it more than anything. Yeah, it's a way that we get to be sociable, right? Mm-hmm. It's a kind of like, almost like you don't have to have a dog if you can go out and like chat to other people's dogs. Yes, it really helps. And I think people in New York sometimes are a little shy, a little private, you know, around neighbors. And I think like the dogs break down those boundaries. Yes, Valentian, we are on your side. It's not oh, yeah. your fault. It's not the dog's fault. Bad owner. Yeah. To yell at you for getting bit, too, is ridiculous behavior. And then try to tear the w- tire off the wheel. So, yeah. so, And he got upset and sweary at the owner, not at the dog. It's worth pointing out that he says, I got upset and sweary at the owner. Like, yeah. you know, what the fuck are you going to do? Like, Yeah. You weren't like, dog, I'll put you in a pot of boiling water. It was like, no, no. Hey, dickhead, what are you doing? What are you letting your dog do this for? Yeah. Like, oh, you should have ring the bell. That's how the dog knows not to eat the tire on your bike. The bell <laughs> tells him that it's a bike and not a big donut. <laughs> yeah. The be- yes. Pavlov's dog. Normally yeah. when I ring a bell, he'll start, he'll start slivering up, mm-hmm. getting ready in preparation for his meal. Yep. Yes, you're correct. Uh, hopefully we've helped you heal with that. Mm-hmm. Thanks for telling us how you feel, Josh. I hope this episode has provided you with much-needed catharsis, brought a few things up that you might need to go away and pack up again, and I've not been very helpful. In that no, respect, that's okay. Because I am completely unqualified, um, but I am here to give, like, advice. I think you did a would. great job, and I feel tremendous coming out of this. Oh, good, good. Have, do, you, do you have anything to plug before you do get... I, plug? I mean, we've talked about it, but I have a special called People Pleaser. It's an hour of stand-up comedy, and it is... Uh, streaming on demand now for international listeners um vimeo is probably the best place to find it and then i'm going on tour joshgondelman.com slash schedule or follow me on social media at joshgondelman and you can find out where i'll be in person go see josh and if you make it out to the east coast check out those cape cod sultans (laughs) (laughs) thank you for joining me josh cheers thank you Tim. You can listen to other programs from The Bugle, including The Bugle, The Last Post, Tiny Revolutions, and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts.